0: Hawks fans wherever you may be welcome back for another edition of the Hawks Playbook podcast join your host Bill Alvstead and co-host sports writer and football analyst Keith Myers as we talk Seahawks football Hey Seahawks fans! Welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook podcast. I'm your host Bill Alstead here with Mr. Keith Myers, and we're talking just random in Bill and Keith's brain stuff today.
1: (laughs) Yeah, today um, it's it's a you know, beautiful quarantine morning. And um, I'm sitting here with coffee and a list of of absolutely crazy random things that we know will never happen. But just for the fun of it, um, Bill and I are going to look at what happens to the Seahawks draft board if just the weirdest things go on. And hopefully it'll be a fun show. We're just going to be like, uh, it's going to be crazy. We're just hopefully it'll be funny and, and uh, you get a laugh out of it. Um, if you're looking for serious um, football analysis and talk, this is probably the one show that you may not get
0: that. Uh, this from, is what happens listen. when we record twice a week. It's yes. like we have, we can only just do so much serious and then we just kind of have to let loose a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. And this, these are serious times. In fact, I, you asked me to put the list together, and like my my brain immediately went to just a bunch of crap because <laughs> it's just you know it is that. But we're trying to lighten it up a little bit today. Um, before we get to that, though, we do want to talk about uh, Tavares Jackson, uh, killed in a single car accident this past Sunday at 36 years old. Leaves behind uh, leaves behind a couple of children. He was currently the quarterbacks coach at Tennessee state university. Um, he aspired to be a head coach in the NFL. I read, uh, that he really wanted to be a, a head coach or, or at least get into the coaching ranks in the NFL. That was his kind of focus, singular focus, a guy, Keith, that was universally respected it, it you know, from all accounts, uh, a gritty competitive player that played through uh, a, a major injury uh, for the Seahawks a torn pectoral muscle ended up mm-hmm. winning seven mm-hmm. games that year I think back in what was it, 2011 Keith? 2011 I, I yep. was gonna say 2010 but 2011 um, just a you know a fantastic guy and and a competitor and, and come in and did his job and and that's all you can really ask of a guy and uh, it's just unfortunate that uh, uh, of his passing and definitely condolences to his family out there so.
1: Yeah, I mean this is it's terrible and there's really I don't think fans for the most part understand how much he was respected in the Seahawks locker room. Um they brought him in because he uh knew um the offense that was coming in and they were trying to find someone that they could who could run the offense for a year and uh not cost a lot because they're you know in the middle of this re- this massive rebuild in the the beginning of the Pete Carroll era and he comes in and is the starter goes out there and plays uh tears this pectoral muscle where just moving his arm and his shoulder is super painful and he just kept playing i mean we had the one game uh in cleveland where charlie whitehurst uh went out there and started and the Seahawks lost six to three. And after that Jackson came back and uh, tried to carry the team, despite the fact he couldn't lift his own arm. And like I said, I don't know if that is something that uh, fans actually, you know, remember that it was that bad and he played pretty well through all of it. And, Uh, There was just tremendous respect for him in the Seahawks locker room. Now, the following year, the Seahawks drafted Russell Wilson and signed Matt Flynn. He gets traded to Buffalo for a late round pick, Um, hangs out in Buffalo for a year, becomes a free agent when he gets cut, comes back to Seattle as Russell Wilson's backup, was willing to put, you know, his ego aside a little bit and be a backup quarterback for a couple of years behind Russell Wilson. And part of the reason coming back to Seattle happened was because players in the locker room uh, wanted him back. They knew he was a leader. They knew he was a guy they could depend on. Um, And he had so much respect from the other players that it was something they knew the Seahawks could do. They also knew that Russell Wilson's, Grasp on that starter role was um set and so bringing jackson back even though he was a former starter wasn't going to create a locker room like issue as far as that so um just absolutely great leader great um you know just tough uh player and
0: super bowl champion
1: yes did wasn't it uh, was there in 2013. In fact, he when- took some
0: stamps as a backup the only backup in the last 20 years to take snaps in the Super Bowl, you know, and you made, you mentioned the, uh, the idea of, of him coming back to the team. And I, and I want to, I don't want to take this away from T Jack, but, uh, just a testament to Pete Carroll, uh, and the coaching staff. They've brought back a number of players over the years. Michael Bennett, Benson Mayo, uh, Mayo, uh, who else, Keith? I mean, just a ton, Bruce, like Bruce Irvin this yeah. year, yep. uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's crazy. A couple running backs in the past have come back. Um, yeah, it's it's just uh, it's an amazing organization. And yeah. quite frankly, I, I that's the part that that frustrates me a little bit. You know, and I get that Twitter is kind of an isolated group of human beings, especially Seahawks Twitter. Um, when you really, really think about it, Seahawks Twitter is composed of about thirty five hundred to five thousand really, like enthusiastic and and passionate fans that are fairly vocal. They're on a social media to talk about football, um, but when you go beyond that, um, you know the the appreciation I think runs really deep for. Pete Carroll and the organization, and John Snyder and the way they've approached football, and the way they've brought a team together um, consistently year after year. Now they may not reach the Super Bowl, and and it's really hard to reach a Super Bowl. Um, it's, <laughs> but they've put this this culture together. This this framework where pl- players can come and go, but the framework remains. And so you get a lot of consistency out of that. And um very underappreciated. And T Jack was definitely a part of that.
1: Absolutely. And I, I I don't think that uh a lot of fans recognize because he was a backup quarterback, right? I mean he's not a not a guy that's ever took the field and, and all that kind of stuff. But there was a reason why he was uh, still a captain who went out for the coin flips and, and that kind of stuff. Like he was really well respected by everybody uh, in, you know, in the organization. And um, it just, just comes as a, this massive shock. I mean, he was 36. This was a guy that, um, you know, was a quarterback coach at the university level and, and had these aspirations to move up and be a coming offensive coordinator. And then later move up to the NFL and, and um, wanted to be, a coach uh, at in the NFL and uh, do things there. And then just for him to suddenly, you know, have all of that disappear. Um, is just shocking. Just absolutely shocking.
0: Rest in peace and uh, condolences to his family. So in other Seahawks news, Keith uh, Seahawks re-signed Nico Thorpe. Uh, they had, I don't know why they waited, but they did wait um, until, uh, bringing him back this year. Good news uh, as far as special teams is concerned. Doesn't mean he's going to make the roster. I think they've, they're have they really intent this year on kind of improving that secondary overall. And um, we'll see if there's a spot for him there. Um, as a special teams kind of specialist, it gets dicey at the end of the roster. Um, and maybe you can talk about that just a little bit as far as the roster changes this year and, and how they would be composed right at the, at the very end of the roster where teams have to make those tough decisions.
1: Well, I mean, that's what it comes down to is you're looking, you're talking about a guy who is a veteran, um, but he was also a captain. He's a special teams captain. Um, uh, but they the don't want him,
0: they don't want him taking snaps in the secondary though.
1: No, they don't. And so that that's the idea is he, he is, one of the premier gunners in the NFL. And I, uh, it's one of those positions that people don't talk about and, and it's really underappreciated, but the ability to get downfield, um, uh, make a tackle on a punt, uh, or down the ball and, um,
0: or draw a double team and allow other players to make plays.
1: Yeah. I, and so he, he is, he is, he's a premier guy at that role and he's also a cornerback. Now he's not a good cornerback. Uh and that's the problem. And so and he's an, an older guy. Um so it comes down to what do you value? And when you're talking about your the team's fifth cornerback on the roster, you know what? That player better be able to play special teams because that's what they're making the roster for. Absolutely. And then you go wait, the fifth if the fifth corner is making the roster because they're playing play special teams. What if the fifth corner is one of the elite special teams players in the league who just happens to not be a very good corner. Um, And
0: well, and that's been the case for the last six, six or so years. You know, I I think that at some point, you know, roster spots in the NFL are very coveted, you know? Mm -hmm. And so at what point do you want to nurture and uh, accumulate a, a talent at the position itself that can also play special teams that is younger i mean at that point there's a certain tipping point somewhere in nico thorpe's future and we just don't know exactly where that's at
1: yeah and him him being a captain and being known as a um another coach and a guy that can be basically a he's a special teams assistant coach um and a captain and an elite player who is like Right you know uh he's gone to Pro Bowls as a special teams guy, and um to have all of that, I think that that tips has tipped it in his favor, whereas with other guys, it would have he would they would have moved on um already because teams do like having their young guys their their rookies and their you know second year guys first year guys um be the special teams players it gets yeah. them on the field it gets them uh it basically justifies their roster spot while they continue to learn the game and get up to up to nfl speed and all of that um it's hard to have a guy who's like 33 um on the roster whose job is only special teams well, um, Oh, you know
0: before nico thorpe it was ricardo lockett before ricardo lockett got hurt um mm-hmm. with the career ending um, neck situation which is scary um Yeah, and uh, but but you know, Lockett wasn't going to be a guy that was out there playing, taking a lot of snaps at wide receiver when he was there either. He was there primarily for special teams. There's always one or two guys on the roster that are there primarily for special teams. The other guy is our fullback guy, and I can't remember his name right off the top of the top of my head, but he's kind of their their special teams guy as well. That he's primarily there just for that. He only takes four to five snaps a game as like a fullback. Um, so, anyway. well, and
1: Pete Carroll has always had that guy, um, yes. on the roster, uh, for a while it was a linebacker. I think his name was, um, like Heath Farwell. Yes, um, right. and he, yes. when he got out and had to play, uh, actually play linebacker, like in preseason and that kind of stuff, it was ugly. I mean, he was bad at that job. Um, but right. he could. Man, he was but good. He was on a the dog. Upside. He, he was, was a dog. Those guys are normally just the grittiest, teams. most uh,
0: yeah. most intense players on a team that are looking for contact. They want to get physical. Those are the guys that excel at special teams. So.
1: Yeah, and um so, yeah, there, there's there's that. And then the other signing um that happened this week was the Seahawks brought, brought back uh last year's starting left guard Mike Lupati. Um and of all the moves they've made this year, this is probably my, my least favorite of all of them. I was going to um, ask you
0: what you thought about this.
1: Well, because here's here's the deal, is that Lupati's got a reputation around the league um, for being this mauling uh, run uh, blocker. And his tape from last year, there were some plays where he was, you know— mauling guys and driving him you know five yards backfield and and all of that but there were a bunch of plays where he just missed and he was the reason why running plays were getting blown up and he overall just was not good last year um and
0: and there he is taking a spot
1: yeah and the the hope is that his contract has no guaranteed money and or very little so it'll be dead little dead money if they cut him because you've got three guys on the roster, two of which played last year and um outplayed Lupati and that would be uh Ethan postik at the beginning of the year um before his two trips to um IR and then uh Jamarco Jones throughout the rest of the year. Both of those guys got playing time in that spot and were better than Lupati. And then the third one would be um the player that you and I both think will eventually be the starter at that spot. Or at least we did before the coaching staff resigned um Lupati and that would be um Hayes. And so you have three guys that are younger Two of which you know are better, one of which we assume is because we have this like i mean the expectation for him is that he's gonna be great, um, and so now you have Lupati in the mix, it's like yeah, is exactly he ta- is he taking snaps away from the development of one of these younger guys? yes, he is and and is is the development of one of those younger guys? To a point where Lupati shouldn't even be on the field anymore, and I think it is. I think that Jones and Posick, despite their injury um, troubles, are better players right now than Lupati is. So why are you going with the veteran when the younger player, the cheaper player? I think it comes down the to player?
0: the statement that that Pete Carroll made in January, where they said that they would like to have. Uh, They would like to retain as many guys as they can for continuity reasons, and this would be a continuity argument only. Um, Mm -hmm. I see this as being a continuity thing through camp, but like you said, there's always a possibility of him not making it out of camp and having one of the other guys uh, excel. uh, take the next step. I'm thinking Phil Haynes myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, take the next step and take over that spot. Now you could have a guy like Uppati if he was on a veteran minimum contract or slightly more with small guarantees. You could keep a guy like that on the roster. Um, but uh, it, it's it's confounding the the what they've done this year on the offensive line. I'll be completely honest. You 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 bring Uppati back in. You sign Brandon Shell. I get that signing right tackle. Um, but it's more of a lateral move. It's not a clear upgrade over a Fetty. Um, BJ Finney, uh, he's got a contract that that says he could be a starter, but he could also be a backup, and they they keep Justin Britt. Uh, I would imagine that you would want to restructure Justin Britt's contract because paying Justin Britt off of an ACL injury in the last year of a contract that's like $10 million is 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 crazy considering the rest of the roster and, and what he's looking at. He's a, he's a top 10 player on the roster, which is kind of nuts. And then you've got a guy in Chance Warmack that is trying to come back in the league after being out. He's got you know a lot of injury history. Cedric uh, Obue uh, is uh, just kind of a player at this point, not a guy that's really going to come in and make an impact. Uh they signed a bunch of guys, but they signed a bunch of guys that aren't really clear as to how it kind of washes out as far as did did the overall talent increase across the entire offensive line both as starters and as um as guys that are they're backing up yeah, and well, I just don't know
1: well i, I mean the the move from a to shell i i like um because I like that it's a it's a move away from penalties and a, a guy that can pass block, um, where if fetty couldn't, um, so I, I actually, I actually like that one. Now I get that you're right. It's, it, it's kind of a lateral move talent wise, because I mean, Shell's not a great player. Um, he, his, as a run blocker, he doesn't have that power. He's, he's much more of a technician and not a mauler, um, and, you know, that there, there are some concerns um, with him. Yeah,
0: I'm slightly uh, concerned only because I think that they still address that thing in the draft. And it could be end up being the, the Seahawks' first pick, depending on how the draft falls. And you mm-hmm. and I both know, as we've studied the draft intensively for the last month, month and a half, and looked at countless big boards and countless mocks and 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 everything and almost any way you slice it the draft always seems to turn out better at least in my mocks when you pick a tackle first it's like if mm-hmm. you can get the tackle out of the way first the draft kind of f- falls better to you so you're not pressing because there's a lot of guys in the in the middle to the back end of the second round that fit better on the defensive line as opposed to that that pick at 127 or early, early in the first round, you're really p- stretching to, to, yeah. um, for, for value there if you pick a defensive guy.
1: Yeah. It ends up being the, the good, the, 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 really good players that you wanted are typically gone. And at that point, you're reaching for someone that is probably more of a second round talent, um, at 127. Um, I, so I, I, I agree. Like the way that the drafts tend to fall with all of these simulations it picking a tackle in that range works out very well, and i think they i would like to see the team do that i don't I don't know if they do um but I do think that they address the position in the draft and so anyway so there's there's that one um at the guards, you've got Fluker and Lupati you've also got uh Fenny you've got um auhe you've got warmac um and you've got the three player the three kids that i uh mentioned earlier um there's a lot of names, and you've right only there.
0: got nine spots. I mean, they could carry yeah. ten linemen this year, but uh, mm-hmm. nine or ten, you're going to cut some. Say, you're going to cut some guys um, mm-hmm. that you might have wanted to, to develop.
1: But I will say that Abu Ahei is is factoring into the tackle equation. He's going to get a shot if the CX don't draft a starting right tackle. Um, he's going to get a shot to beat out Shell um at that spot and if not he's going to be the in the george fant role of um you know the sixth offensive lineman swing tackle kind of guy um chance Warmack's trying to get himself back into the league but at this point there's no guarantee he's going to make the roster there's no guarantee that he um
0: he has no guaranteed contract
1: yeah I, and he's just a guy who hasn't played in a few years and wants to get back into the league and the team goes okay sure we'll see what you got we know you had a lot of talent back in when you were being drafted a few years ago but all the injuries and everything he hasn't played. And so give him a shot. But I don't think he counts into the plans. Um What the Lupati signing said to me um, was that they wanted a veteran that they had um, whose name wasn't BJ Finney in case one of the kids doesn't work out or in case there's an injury to um Fluker or you know that kind of stuff and the reason why they wanted a vet not named B.J. Finney was because B.J. Finney is going to be the center and so before the Lupati signing Finney uh, factored into the equation at center and guard and now that um Lupati is in part of the equation Finney now factors in at center and that Brit's probably gone
0: yes. um, well hold on now, there's a way that Brick stays, and that's if he restructures. But I think he's there's there's two thirds of the way he's out his foot is out the door. Two thirds. One third is there in case they don't draft a center or um or or Finney, you know. Finney could play definitely play center, but he could also play guard. So I mean there's that option as well. I mm-hmm. think there's a chance um, that they could draft a center if they're completely enamored with um, Ruiz or the guy from Wisconsin uh days, or I think his name is. Um, mm-hmm. so
1: and them getting Ruiz would be such a such a steal for them to have him. It's, it would
0: be hard for me though if, if they traded back a little bit and he was sitting there at one thirty or two thirty four, two forty even. Um it's hard to draft a center that early, but if you know he's going to be your center for the next eight years, you go get him. Um, and you know, I would trust the process, and, and uh, they obviously know better than I do. But man, that would be a—I would enjoy that pick, and I would—I would—it would kill me to, to to make that pick at the same time. <laughs> See, All right, I'm, so let's, I'm the
1: offensive line guy. I'd love that pick. So I'm yes. just just throwing that out there. I um, well, he,
0: and if they did that, Keith, he would be the presumptive starter. I mm-hmm. would think, right? And, and then and at then that point, you could move BJ Finney to a good spot.
1: Well, at that point, you're looking at um, you know the two guys on the two vets on one-year uh, contracts without guaranteed money, and that being uh, Fluker, who's now in year two of his deal, and um, Lupati, who just came back, and thinking that okay, one of those guys is is gone because Finney's going to take that spot at guard um, and be your backup center as well. So if something happens to Ruiz and he gets hurt, okay, well you just move Finney over and you bring in one of the kids at guard um, right. type, of, type of a situation. Right. Um, and, and you know, I'm you're, if you're looking at that, um, it, that's one of the things I liked about the Finney signing is not only is he good, but he's versatile and he really allows you to move people around. Let's get the best five on the field. And uh, he he helped. Well, what
0: what what this told me, you know, too, is it's unlikely that the Seahawks um, draft a center and it's way more likely that we try to get a tackle, because if you take a look at the roster, we've got one hundred and fifty guards and we've got three tackles, Mm -hmm. you know, and so you've got to you've got to figure that out. Yep. Okay. Okay.
1: so let's move on um, to, you know, what we're going to talk about for today's show. And that is. Uh, a bunch of silliness and a bunch of um a bunch of absolutely crazy um because we're gonna look at what happens in the draft if and let's start with a, a few position groups uh a filling in that if what happens in the draft if the Seahawks do what fans would kill them for, and that is take a running back at one twenty seven
0: yeah, I mean it could happen. It so let's happen. be let's be real. Let's be real. Okay. Here's here's the situation. Carson, and I haven't we haven't prepped for any of this. In fact, I have no idea what Keith's gonna ask. And I didn't really make up a list <laughs> yeah. that I can use in this show. So these are all gonna be Keith's random brain thoughts, right? Okay, so which
1: will which will give you an idea of just how my brain works and <laughs> people are gonna be like, Wow, this guy's nuts.
0: Uh, <laughs> So here's here's the deal. So if you you have to take a look at the current roster to understand why they would make such a move. Uh, Carson's coming off a hip. Carson's contract year. So there's uh, a hedge against Carson uh, argument immediately. Uh, Penny's got an ACL plus a couple other issues in his knee that got repaired uh, in December. But. Uh, Reports are out. uh, Conflicting reports, actually. Uh, The first report from Pete Carroll was it it would be unlikely that he'd be ready, A, for camp, B, for the season. And then uh, Schneider came out and said he's really optimistic that both uh, running backs would be uh, available and ready to go this year. Um, So there's the, the penny equation. And then you've got Homer on the roster who's not a between-the-tackles running back at all. So really, you've only got almost one guaranteed guy as your feature back on the roster and and then nothing else um, if you don't count Penny. So for me, and then you take a look at Carson maybe being just available for one year and then he would be gone if the team doesn't want to re-sign him at a number that they feel comfortable with. So there's a big argument for drafting a guy that could come in and be a feature back, if not this year, next year. And so do you spend a seventh round? Is it more likely that the team spends a seventh round pick on a back that needs to be a number, a number two back this year and possibly their feature back going forward? Or is it more likely that they spend a high draft pick on a feature back that they know is more guaranteed to be able to produce this year, while at the same time being able to step into that number one role next year. So I think it would be more likely that the team would expend one of their first, say, three picks on a running back as, a, as opposed to a waiting until the seventh round for the remaining scraps to to find a guy, just a guy. So no, it's, if okay. Jonathan Taylor's I, hold on. If Jonathan Taylor's sitting there at 127, that would be a hard one to not look at. Especially if they were to trade down. Let's say they traded down and picked up a fourth round pick. They traded down two or three spots. Mm-hmm. Picked up a fourth round pick, which is still a really great value in this draft. And Jonathan Taylor was still sitting there. Or or a guy that they really liked, Dobbins or, or you know, somebody else. Um, I it wouldn't shock me if they picked a running back.
1: Okay. Um, I it wouldn't shock me either, just because I think that their value of the position doesn't match what the rest of the league values at the position. Um, but I, I would look at that and being like, I'd be crazy. But the the scenario for this wasn't using one of their top 3 picks wasn't trading down and then picking one it was the seahawks take a running back at 127 so the 27th pick they don't move down they just pick a running back in that slot what does that do to the rest of the draft
0: yeah what is what would it do if any player was picked at 127 um, you know, running back in particular would be, uh, would be interesting because what it would end up doing is then you, it would leave you with two picks in the second round, a late third round and two late fourth round picks. There's not a lot of draft capital left in those picks. Now you could take a look at a second round and it would force you, it would force you, I think in this draft and unless, and, and, and we we will talk about a couple other scenarios, as this show goes on, but, but in that scenario, if you use one twenty seven, it would, the way that John Snyder works and the way this draft is set up in the middle rounds, where the values at in this draft and in any draft really, but it's really valuable in the first, say two or two, three, fourth rounds. um, It would force you to drop back. So you'd have to take one of those second round picks and try to drop back. And you'd have to drop back a significant way to pick up, true value. Um, you could, you know, you could drop back 10 picks out of the second round and go into the top of the third and maybe pick up a fifth, maybe. Um, but if you drop back, say from two to the back end of the third, um, so a full, almost a full round worth of picks, uh, you could pick up maybe a, maybe a fourth and maybe a sixth type of a thing. Keith, how do you read that? Um, what, what would you, what would it take for the CX to make that running back pick in the first round in order to basically kind of ruin their draft strategy the rest of the way?
1: <laughs> and see, that's why I brought this one up is because you take that pick and you're like, okay, we fixed the, you know, we fixed the running back situation, but now we're down. We, we don't have the picks that we want because the, the team wants to get nine, nine to 11, uh Players out of the draft every year, um, and they've got seven picks, and so that's why they move down in the first round every year, is because it's the easiest way. You only move down, you know, three or four slots, and you get some value picks there, and then that gives you flexibility to move down later and get the seventh rounder that you want, and whatever. Um, but they don't do that here. They go and they get a running back. So now you have you you don't have that ability to pick up to get extra picks in the middle where you want them. You have ex- you can get. Sixth and seventh round picks pretty easy by moving down in round two or round three. And, and that, so there's that. But if you want an extra fourth, if you want um, a fourth and a fifth, you it's a lot harder to do. Uh, and then you still need your offensive tackle. You still need your pass rusher. You still need another pass rusher. You still need probably an interior defensive lineman. And you've now locked yourself in to needing to do all of those with your second, third, uh, and fourth round picks. And you have to move down in one of those significantly down in order to get the extra picks that you also need. And so now what you're done is you're saying, we're going to get that running back, but we are going to put at risk everything else that we want. That's why I brought this one up is I thought it would, um, to me, that's just scary. That, that That's just like, you're, you're going into this draft as, um, looking at the possibility of just you're going to get your running back and you're not going to meet your other needs. Uh, yeah, the rest of the so,
0: roster. Yeah, the running back is intriguing. Um, of an of an idea. Um, the uh, you know, Pete and John have come out many times and said so they usually have 15 guys assigned to first round grades, and then there's a there's a point in the draft, say 20. Let's just say it's 25. Uh, 25 to 45. Where the draft grades are somewhat equal, that's that's the reason that they can draft, uh, trade back, pick up some additional value picks, and still get a guy that they've been targeting, um, mm-hmm. and and that really does seem likely this year. But is there? Let me ask you this: Is there a single player or a single position group at all in this draft? That would cause you to either stay at twenty-seven or move up slightly to get a player that just you just can't pass on.
1: I don't think so. I don't.
0: Then why'd you ask the question? No, um.
1: because we're we're going through. are like okay. Um, if there's one thing we know about Pete and John on draft day, it's that they are unpredictable. So um, that's what, what I'm throwing out here. Well, is- let
0: me ask you this: there have been a couple of draft mock draft scenarios that I've used on on Pauline's draft site, the Draft Network, where uh, Tua um, Tagaliboa mm-hmm. drops, he and there. he's sitting there. He's sat there at my pick at 127, and I've i've run and i've that's happened two different times um kinlaw has been there a couple times um those are two players that i think they might stay for or simmons or some other crazy thing right um but if two is there and now obviously seattle doesn't need a quarterback but holy cow right so there's 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 two scenarios They've got a hijack situation where they can they can let that pick go to the highest bidder at that point and somebody comes in and that that's that was going to wait until the top of the second round to get their quarterback love dropped or whatever uh, somebody's sitting there um, all of a sudden two is in play, and now you've got a situation where there's a competitive um, there, there's a competitive deal for your your pick, and so you can get some pretty decent value that way and they drop back or Is he so enticing there for them, regardless of Russell Wilson's status or contract, that they take that pick and they pick him to develop either as a hedge against Russell Wilson in the future or to create value on their own roster uh, for trading purposes down the road?
1: See, that, this is actually one of the scenarios that I had I had prepped was I'm like and even in what I was going to say when when I was p- going to pitch this was they've already traded back they've moved back from twenty seven to thirty one so they've already picked up their extra picks and Tua is still sitting there and this is a guy who yes he's got injury concerns and all of that and he and he
0: might be sitting there just because nobody can do any medical stuff
1: yeah. So he's got he's got injury concerns. He had a major hip surgery um, at the end of this last season. He says he's ready. He worked. He's worked out. Um, he's you know done his combine kind of stuff and and all of that. So he says he's ready to go, but teams aren't convinced. And so he drops and drops and drops. But this is a guy who is before that hip injury was the number one overall pick in the draft. I mean, he was. He was going to be that guy. And now he's sitting there, sitting there at the 31st pick, and you're sitting there with it, and you've already traded down, you've already met your um, draft capital strategy needs, and he's there, and you're talking about a franchise quarterback, but you've got one. What do you do? You you're also have your roster, also has other needs, right? You, if you take that pick, um, You know, you got to think about what you're not going to have on your roster uh, when you take it. But to me, this is Aaron Rodgers.
0: Well, and how does COVID-19 play into that strategy as far as maybe the the, the year that we might be able to have? And I'd like to talk about that, you know, as the show progresses. But how does that impact what they do um, as far as strategy is concerned? Well, and that's it. That's
1: a that's that's a different scenario. So okay, uh, we'll we'll
0: talk about that. But so you've got Tua there. What do you do? You're at thirty one. That's a coveted place because it's at the back end of the first round. You've got the fifth year option, which is important for a quarterback. mm -hmm. And it's Tua. And so even if he wouldn't be ready to play in twenty twenty, for whatever reason,
1: you've got Russell Wilson. You
0: get him on the roster.
1: Yeah, and to me, like I said, he this is this is Aaron Rodgers. This is him dropping. Uh, and dropping and dropping and dropping Um, a guy that was thought of maybe the first overall pick or the second overall pick. And he dropped in um, down to 24 and the Packers are like, you know, we've got Brett Favre, but we can't say no. And so they drafted him and then he sat for three years before he got a chance to play and turned out that they went from one franchise, great quarterback to another uh, because he, they right. jumped on the talent rather than reaching for a position. And I think that, you know, you're, as for the Seahawks, it's a situation where, especially given to his skill set and how much it mirrors Russell Wilson's skill set, I would do it. I would take him.
0: So, Russell and, Wilson has four years left on his contract. Is that correct? Yes. But I, it's hard to even contemplate, but Russell Wilson is 31 years old. And, mm-hmm. and he wants to play until he's 45. I mean, he's literally said that. And there's no indication that he's slowing down, and there's no indication that he wouldn't be able to. He's, he's Russell Wilson's the kind of talent that can transform his game as he gets older as well, so he can become a pocket guy more than he is a running guy or a threat to run. Um, I think he can be a viable quarterback in this league well into his early 40s at least. Mm-hmm. Um and then you've got Tua sitting there. You could you you have trade you have options at that point where you can move forward as a franchise, go to the younger player, and keep going uh, with a, with can, a franchise guy, or or you,
1: you can trade to a once he once he's proven right. that he's healthy and all of that, he's come out in preseason and and that kind of stuff, or maybe you know Wilson rolls an ankle and they go, you know, we don't need to rush him back like we used to. We can have him sit for a game because we've got. This like we've got a starting quarterback sitting there on our bench that we can bring in and play right. um, and he and does it increases well in that value <laughs> t- he does well he does well in that situation and they roll into a draft two years from now uh, with a player and you're like, you can go move up and get a guy that is unproven we don't know you know that we, we've seen the bus trade on quarterbacks or you can trade you can trade us yeah, you can trade pick. two
0: two first round picks for two
1: for a guy that you know is at that level right now. Um, And then you just, you you turn that late third round pick a couple of years of having a great backup quarterback. Exactly. um, Into two first round picks, one of which being really early in a draft uh, a a few years from now. And you allow that to, to over the long, you know, you play the long game and right over, over a a four or five year stretch, you greatly improve uh, your roster by making that pick now. Uh, but you still need to tackle. You still still need defensive linemen. I know uh, it makes it harder.
0: Yeah, so, I mean it would be it would it would be interesting if it was it was Tua and then you had uh, Austin Jackson sitting there and maybe uh, Matos sitting there or. Some other guy, you know, that they that they really needed that they normally would have taken at that spot. And all of a mm-hmm. sudden it just throws a wrench into the entire thing. I guarantee you they have a scenario like this played out and what they would do. They're they're ready to they're ready. have a scenario where a certain player drops and he's there. What would they do? Um, that would be interesting. I mean, a guy like Simmons. Um, is a guy kind of without a position, uh, in the NFL, he can play linebacker. He can come up on the edge. He can play safety for you. He can drop back into coverage. He can play linebacker. I mean, here's a guy that can just, he's a toolbox Mm -hmm. and, but sometimes guys like that are athletes more than they are football players to some GMs. They don't know where to put them. They don't know how to value that. So a guy like that could end up dropping a little bit. If, if a guy like that were to drop, say in the early twenties, would it would, would, is there any scenario that you can imagine Seattle moving up in the draft this year? Is there any scenario
1: where I can imagine it? No. Yes. Um, is there a scenario that I have written written down for us to talk about? was <laughs> that one right there. Oh, man, you're like reading my mind today. Um, it, it, so here's, that's my thing. Is, is um, I can't imagine um, John Snyder uh, moving up in round one and giving up other picks oh, and going from seven picks to like five um, in order to go get a single player – and then now, not having the ability to move around, not having the ability to pick up draft capital, not having the ability to do any of that because you wanted to move up and get it. I can't fathom that. But here's well. a guy. Here's a guy that would be perfect for the defense because he can play strong side linebacker as a starter, drop into coverage. He can, and, and not only just drop into coverage, but drop into coverage and play very well as a strong side linebacker. He can come up and rush the passer. He can blitz. He can set the edge. He can do everything that, um, I mean, because that strong side linebacker role in Seattle's defense is a difficult one to play because they ask you to do so many different things because um, you have to actually come up and you're essentially the Seahawks that kind of play a, um, a, a 52, right, where you have five linemen and two linebackers, um, kind of, uh, because they have that strong side linebacker really come up on the line of scrimmage. Don't put it their hand down, but they're, they're an edge setter um, the, on, uh, you know, uh, for against the run, the same way that the defensive end on the other side is the edge setter against the run. So they do a lot of that kind of stuff. And this is a guy that's just perfect for that role. Yeah,
0: no, he's a pre, he's a premier pro uh, all pro, like a perennial all pro player, like mm-hmm. pick a, pick a spot edge rusher. A run defender, uh, edge setter, a linebacker, uh, safety. Um, drop him back into coverage, a nickel. Um, he can do it all at mm-hmm. six, almost six three and two hundred and thirty pounds. Yeah, um,
1: See, I don't think I don't think he is a safety, and I don't think he's a nickel corner. Um, I do think he's a linebacker. A big you're gonna nickel, ma- big nickel. You are going to match him up against uh, tight ends and running backs, but. If you want to play your base defense, um, like which the Seahawks did a lot last year, and then you end up in a situation where okay, I'm, we're going to play our base defense, but then the other they roll in with um, you know, a three wide receiver set, and you need your linebacker to be able to slide and pick up um, yeah. and, and and actually cover and not kind of cover the way Kendricks did and and do it poorly, but really cover and um you know, be depended on for that. This is one of the rare guys that can do that. And um, if you're going to move up, I think you got the right player um, for who you move up for. Now, does John Snyder do this? I think there's a negative probability. It's so <laughs> unlikely. It's so well, unlikely. let me ask you It's this. not even a positive uh, probability how it is negative here's
0: here's another scenario and and we can talk about this and it kind of transitions to some other the of the darker things that I wrote down um, <laughs> COVID nineteen okay um a you know we can talk about life without football we can talk about how it creates a scenario on draft day that creates some unknowns that we haven't had before um you know we're literally going from Las Vegas to the commissioner's living room with the picks. I mean, it's, this whole thing is kind of impacting everything. Um, how do you create a team in, in COVID, uh, in a, in a time of COVID-19, is there going to be a season? I mean, you and I have been really positive about this entire thing up until this very moment. And, and you can't imagine a scenario where there wouldn't be a football season, Um, or or there wouldn't be a football season without fans in the stands and so forth. How does COVID-19 and those sorts of possibilities impact the way that the Seahawks might look at the draft and acquiring players for this season, where this season could be a question mark? And would that, would that, enable them to be a little freer this year with instead of accumulating picks consolidating picks in order to get two or three really good players for the future, as opposed to th- throwing darts at a dartboard in a numbers game. Uh, the more players you have on the roster from the draft, the, the better overall strategy you have um, going forward. That's been their philosophy for years. Would this change that at all? And could this be part of that maybe situation?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, you're looking at a situation where the, we, the NFL, is prepping to have a season. They're ha- the, they're prepping to have a season with um, uh, prob- probably no fans or few fans in the stands. Um, they're changing their the schedule that was prepared. Um, to put all of the AFC versus NFC games in weeks one through four so that way if you cancel the first month because we're not ready to open um, you know and do that that we those are the games we lose and you still get all of your in division and in conference games on the schedule if you go to a a 12 game schedule because you have to cancel four weeks Um, so they're already prepping for all of this and so you look at this and you go okay What do we hedge? Do we hedge that we're going to have a 16-game schedule and we play it like normal? Or do we uh, say, you know what, the likelihood of that is low. We're probably going to have a 12-game schedule. We might have an 8-game schedule. Or the season itself might be canceled. How do we change our draft strategy knowing that these other things are a possibility? And I look at it and I go... If you go into it expecting a 12 or an eight-game schedule, yeah, you know what? Uh, you can take different risks. You can consolidate picks. Um, knowing that you have kind of a part of the season, you're not playing the whole marathon that you normally would. Um, the other thing I look at is what happens if the season is canceled?
0: It's brutal, dude.
1: Yeah, it's brutal for, for everybody. Um, players fans us uh but you know it's I mean, almost
0: like you have to put you have to pay everybody mm-hmm. i think so you have to pay everybody but i think that the league would say that the contracts the contracts are are voided for one year essentially you pay everybody but everybody comes back on the on moves a year ahead but the contracts still have the same numerical years left on the deals
1: so yeah. So basically, if you have three years left on your deal now, you'll have three three years you have left on your deal next year. Um, so because you didn't in twenty twenty one. Yeah, because you didn't accrue a season. It's like if you know if a player holds out um, past week six, the reason why they always come back in week six um, in, in a contract holdout is because if you hold out into week seven or week eight guess what? You're still under contract with that team you were holding out from the following year because you didn't advance it. So I think you you have a situation where no one's going to get enough games to advance their contract, so that would happen. But then you go to the union and you have to be like, okay, we need to pay players, but we have no revenue. Can we come up with a situation where we pay everybody in the league, every single player that's on a roster, 250 grand for the year? And we just, because we can't play games, we like legally can't play games. Uh, and so I, I think that would probably be a situation and there'd be a labor fight and, you know. So you would pay go Russell less than
0: $250,000.
1: Well, I th- and I think that's the thing is you, you basically be like, you know, we're um, we're paying every single player um, money. We're just giving it, we'll, we'll, or you can just give it all of it, pay all of it, 100% of it to the union and let the union just dis, um, disperse it. So it's not actually like we're paying, you know, the players. We're just like, we're not having a season. Uh, we're not having a accrued season. But here's this lump sum of, you know, close to a billion dollars that we're going to hand to the union and let them distribute it as they see fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I could see that being a situation that works. But when it comes to the draft, which is what we're we're trying to focus on here, in a situation right now where you're looking at, a shortened season and that kind of thing, I think you can go look and you go, you know what? Let's, we can take more risks because it's a shorter season, right? You, you know what I mean? Like if it's, um, uh, if, if it doesn't work out, you've only got 12 games between now and the next time you get, and to
0: by the time players. you play, you're going to have more draft picks.
1: Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, I, I would say you take more risk. Now, if the, if one of my other scenarios is, what happens if on the eve of the draft, right? Uh, something happens worldwide that causes everybody to go, you know what? We are shutting everything down again and we are just going to make the commitment that nothing is going to happen in the fall. So they know on draft day that the 2020 season has been canceled. What do you do? Yeah.
0: Wow. And I think
1: in, in that situation, my thought is, if you can move up, if you can consolidate picks, do it because you're going to go into the next time your team meets in training camp to play football, you're going to go into it with all your picks from this year and all your picks from next year.
0: but there this, won't be a college football season either
1: n- true, and so they will these um these people who are trying to get into the league. They don't want to wait another year. They don't want to like put off their ability to earn money another year. So, so some of them will go back. Some of, it'll be a, a smaller draft pool. But there will be another draft between now and the, the, the next time you play football. So you're going to have two different drafts. Um, and if, you want, if, if your goal is you know, 10, 11 players every year, you need 10 or 11 players combined between these two yeah. uh, draft pools. So you, to me, if you can find someone else who doesn't have that philosophy and is just like, nope, give me picks, give me picks uh, or give me picks next year. Yes. So that way I could push everything forward and then next yes. year I can, I can have those and push yes. some forward again. Um, you know, I would do that. I would uh, either get less picks this year. um Or move up, push everything into the future and, and, and roll with it that way. Um, But yeah, if you can go
0: as much as, as much as we've talked about, you know, randomness and kind of crazy ideas, we could see some of this actually playing out because there are so many unknowns. There are so many different ways of looking at this. Um, You can say, yeah, I want to accumulate more picks because I want to go into 2021 with like 14 players or, or 20 or whatever. You've also got the philosophy we just talked about of consolidation because you can take more risk. You might as well go get the the top three players you can possibly get in your hand right now and put them, you know, store them essentially for a year uh, and and roll that out with your combined picks for next year as well. And then you talk about the the, the lack of a college football season Um, logistically. I mean, Let's just talk about logistically for a second. I don't want to make this a complete downer, but logistically, is it possible to have sports, especially football with a pandemic happening? I mean, we really haven't confronted this question yet because I think we just don't want to, but I think it's starting to kind of creep in that, that maybe this is just not going to happen or it's going to happen without fans in the stands. But let me ask you this, even without fans in the stands, we haven't talked about player safety we haven 't talked about coaches and personnel around the team those those people still need to get together. Uh, what about their families and and the travel issues that we that we have going on? What happens if one team creates a hot spot um, mm-hmm. where you 've got a bunch of infections with one team? Do they forfeit games well, Do, what like, happened there's in, just in a the, whole bunch of questions
1: it's what happened in the nBA right um and where the Utah Jazz um, ended up being a hotspot where, um, you know, Colbert had a, had his, uh, yep. he was and infected. and Donovan Mitchell, and, right. And um, then they were basically, all the other teammates were like, no, we aren't going to go play this team. They've got people who are infected. And right. the league ended up having to shut down entirely because of what was going on there. Now, the league shutting down. Uh, because of the virus, pretty much set the precedent and allowed the NCAA to shut down and not be uh, yes, you not be, be like oh well you know they're the ones that are doing it. The the NBA kind of was like they're the ones who broke the ice and says nope we can't have games. We got these players that are infected. They're infecting other players. We're infecting other teams, and so we're just gonna like uh, bail on the season. And once that happened you saw all these other leagues, all these other organizations be like, nope, we're, we're, we're closing, we're closing, we're closing, we're closing, we're closing. Yeah. I mean, can you um,
0: imagine parents of college players of any sport uh, feeling good about their children participating in a group activity? Um, you know, I understand that we're trying to move it into a situation on a business, just from the business argument of trying to reopen the economy a little bit. Maybe we do it in segments and so forth. But as sports which is part of the economy in the entertainment industry, is that part of a realistic equation? Um, it's hard for me to envision right now as much as I want to be able to have the opportunity to, to have sports back. Um, we all have to need to, to consider life without football or sports for a year. Um, the, the, the NCAA, the college sports, I mean, I just think it's unlikely that we're gonna be able to watch sports in a stadium in September. I just don't see it. No matter yeah. how flat this curve gets or where we're at, I just think we're gonna reopen parts of the the economy and society and then we're gonna have hot spots again and we're gonna be shutting down. This thing's kinda of go in waves back and forth and during this entire thing where it's kind of lurching and retracting and lurching uh, are we really going to have a sports league, <laughs> you know, where we're putting a huge amount of people in, in the fans or even if it's just teams, like I said, it's players. You've got 50 some odd players on a team. You've got 20 coaches. You've got another 40 or 50 personnel uh, support staff around that. So you've got 150, 200 people that are in close quarters to support every team mm-hmm. Um it, well, logistically, there is a, it'd be a there nightmare.
1: Is a, there is a way to do it, um, and uh, I think what it comes down to, and it comes down to this, is for um, how you reopen the the economy and uh, entirely, and that is massive testing. And so every player ha- gets tested for um, the virus for um, you know like weekly, like literally, we just do every player, uh, every coach, every staff member. All the time, just constantly testing to make sure that no one's bringing it into uh, the league. And if anyone tests positive, man, they're they're you're out. You're on quarantine until you. Like uh, I said, what do you do with negative.
0: people? What do you do with teams that become hotspots?
1: Well, and I think by doing the uh, this massive testing all the time, you end up not having hotspots because you uh, get you know we're not waiting for systematic. Uh, you know what I mean? Like we're not waiting for um, symptomatic, uh, ideas with, Oh, well, we need to test this person. They got sick. No, we're testing everybody regularly. So that way we know who has. It so would
0: us. you feel comfortable as a citizen, uh, throwing hundreds of thousands of dollars in testing at NFL players and other, say the NBA does that and hockey does that and soccer. Right. Um, where regular citizens can't get tests uh, well, on a regular basis. Is,
1: that's the thing is that we need we need a massive ramp up in testing, and if and that the, doesn't
0: seem to be the path that we're currently on. I mean, I don't want to get political, nobody, but it doesn't seem to be. Nobody
1: wants to pay for it, um, but if the NFL wants this league to happen, they go okay. Um, we're going to have to pay for the machines that run the test. We're going to have to pay for the reagents necessary to run the test. <clears throat> We're going to have to set up a testing center ourselves. Pay for that. Pay for everything. Pay um, uh, you know, doctors that know how to do all of this to uh, be a part of it and set up their own testing centers so that they can test their own yeah. employees. And that's what's going to have to happen. This isn't taking tests away from anybody else it's they are actually creating the ability to make do more tests so that their needs for testing doesn't come out of uh the rest of of the testing um ability and so once that happens then i think we can get into a situation where they have mass testing and we can reopen the league as far as that now as far as fans you can't test you know, the 65,000 fans that come to games um, and, and do it in a way that allows them to actually come in and, and be there. Uh, Cause there's, there is a lag with the, with the testing. So um, what you do is you have no concessions. You have, um, you bring in eight to 10,000 <clears throat> fans. I agree. And I agree. Everyone, everyone sits, you know, six so seats not, apart. Six feet right. apart, yeah, and and so you're, you you basically have a few people that that pay you. Lottery it off to your season ticket holders to see which ones get um, you know, get tickets, and and you do it that way. And then of course, if you have like family members, like if um, uh, you know, if like someone and their spouse wants to go, they would sit next to each other. Well, that kind of, you know, like that maybe you you're going to have those kind of situations where um, you'll be able to have a few extra people because of. Um, there are certain people that don't need to social distance because, well, they live in the same house, so why would you social distance from them um, type of situation? So you're going to have you know 10,000 fans maximum. They're going to spread it over over the whole stadium from the front row to the back row and uh, get some people in there, but it's not going to be many, and it's going to be
0: weird. Wow. That's just crazy. So uh, I have a what if. What if... Um, something happens on draft day uh, where um, the the NFL is setting up these group meetings. They announced, I think they're doing a Microsoft team, uh, a version of Microsoft team um, similar to Zoom where you can have video conferences to tie everyone together. So all the general managers are going to be on these things and then uh, team personnel will be also part of those subgroups um, uh, so they can communicate, text messaging, et cetera. The, the traditional way that the picks go down is there's 10 minutes in between picks in round one, uh, seven minutes in round two, five minutes in the other remaining rounds, something like that, right, Keith? Mm-hmm. Um, Logistically-wise... Uh, teams that are trying to trade or, or be on the clock and make picks and so forth. The communication level on a normal draft is challenging. Um, sometimes teams are down to the last seconds before, uh, the picks are in and it all lines up with the league office and so forth. Um, what happens now where teams like Seattle, you know, want to trade two or three or four times in a draft? have to get together with three or four possible trade partners in any given spot in the draft as the clock is rolling. Um, And uh, it it just seems to me that there's tons of room here for mistakes to happen or teams not to get picks in on time. And uh, is there a scenario for that?
1: Um, I think there is. I think what you're going to see is you're going to see leeway being given uh, as far as the timing um obviously if teams are just like you know uh it's a five minutes between between you know if you have five minutes to get a pick in and you're at 10 minutes then you know the commissioners be like nope we're moving on or they idea. could just say it's uh-huh. you know
0: 15 minutes for every pick in the entire draft or whatever because there's no oh, there would be no then, more then, time constraint to then me you need,
1: then you need to um make the draft not uh three days but five um, if you're going to do that, and that's I don't too late, and, and I don't see, I don't see them doing that, but um, what I think they're going to do is there, there's going to be some grace period. So you have five minutes to get it in. Um, if the timer hits zero, they're not going to be like instantly, all right, we're moving on to the next one. And there's going to be like, you know, let's get, give them a little bit, give them a little bit, tell the team, hey, we need your pick right now. You're, you're, your time's up. Um, uh, and then get the pick and then, you know, move on for that point. I think there's going to be a little bit more grace. It's not going to be like, um, that was a couple of years ago, um, one of the teams, I think in the, like the eighth overall pick, um, was late getting their pick in. And so the, as soon as the time hit zero, the team with the ninth pick submitted a pick and got the eighth player. And then the 10th team got theirs in, um, like instantly, like a couple seconds later in order to get that, you know, basically you you get to bump up a spot and the team that hasn't picked just keeps getting bumped down until they turn something in. Um, I don't think we're going to see that. I think we're going to have a situation where that's not going to be happening unless uh, we, where basically the commissioner is like, get your pick in, your time's up, get your pick in, get your pick in. And they're like, wait, 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 wait. And he's like, no, we're moving on. Um, Well, you know, there's
0: certain teams that are um, perceived to be better at technology than other teams. But if you really think about it, the, um, the way that the, the teams are doing it now is not that much different, you know, this year than it has been in the past. All of these teams are, you know, other than their own internal staff, now being separated and in their own homes. Uh they were able to be in a war room, you know, at the team facility before, but everything else was done via video conference online stuff. You know, mm-hmm. they submit the picks to, you know, Vegas or New York or Tennessee last year. Um, so the, you know, logistically wise, it's not terribly different from the way it's been before. It's just the internal teams Uh, staff are separated now. So the communication between, uh, all of them is a little encumbered, but I, I, yeah, I don't see it being a huge deal, but it could be, I could see it, you know, if some teams network went down or whatever, it would be, you know, that would be weird. You don't almost have to pause the draft.
1: Well, what you'll have is you'll just, you know, if the network goes down, you, you, you pick up a phone right? And yeah. you, um, all right. What do you got? But left? the thing is that, that, um, so the only ones I got left, I think after, after going through the COVID-19 one, I think they're, they're a little, um, they're a little smaller. Um, and, you know, we, we, well, did it, we did that, but we let's did end it
0: on more. a fun note.
1: Okay. Um, the here, so, Well, if we're going to end it on a fun note, I'm going to end it on, and I'm going to do the the not fun one first. And that is, the scenario is the Seahawks trade Tyler Lockett for multiple picks leading up to the
0: draft. Wow. Really? Why would they do such a thing? Um, Interesting. So who would be the target? I mean... That would be the question. So they trade for multiple picks. Give me an idea what the value there would be.
1: Uh, They would get uh, a two, a three, and a five.
0: How many years left does Lockett have on his deal? Two? Including Uh, this year?
1: I think this year and one more. Maybe it's a two of four of five. It's somewhere in that range.
0: Interesting. I mean, that would make the draft. I mean, that, but you would create a situation where now you're going to try to replace him. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously, they don't think Dorsett could come in and do that. Uh, they've got Medcalf. Um, there's nobody else on the roster that would fill that hole. So uh, I'm not exactly sure where we're at uh, as far as free agents left on the wide receiver market. Um, so you'd,
1: the Seahawks also um withdrew their exclusive rights uh offer right. to um Malik Turner. So he is no longer a Seattle Seahawk. Uh why do that now when, you know, you make like four hundred and fifty grand. It's like practically it's, be, it's like the absolute minimum um, for these exclusive rights guys. Why do it now? Because it gives them an opportunity to catch on with another team. Uh, basically, they're, they're saying he, they knew he wasn't going to make the roster this year, uh, no matter what. So Right. Um,
0: Interesting. So there would be a target, obviously, I think. Seattle would be targeting a guy. Um, and they would make that trade at a spot in the draft where they could make the pick. They wouldn't be, depending on the draft still rolling while they're making this pick this would i think be a scenario where they knew that they were going to be picking and a player that they were targeting would be available um that's where you make this trade or you make it ahead of the draft um knowing that you've now got enough ammunition that you can move around in the draft to feel confident that you can get at least one of the two guys you were targeting or whatever um, now, Tyler Lockett's a unique and special player, obviously. So what kind of a player would you need to draft in order to feel confident? You've already got Medcalf, the big possession guy, that the guy that stretches the field, the red zone target. You'd want a guy that could kind of replace what Tyler Lockett does, a possession-style receiver that still give you something down the seams and, and on the edges and, you know all around great receiver and he's highly efficient doesn't drop a lot of stuff. So you'd want to get a guy like that. I mean, if a guy like Henry Ruggs was available at, at 27 um, Jalen Rager, they probably have their sights set on. I think I've, I've heard that they've met with him at the, at the draft. Um, a guy with tremendous speed, uh, smaller uh, guy, uh, shiftier that could be, you know, work out of the slot, work out of the outside um, KJ Hamler tremendous speed. I hear he's got like almost just two, three, uh, not two, three, four, three speed, like four, three, zero type speed. Um, a guy like that, that they could feel comf- uh, confident that would be a tremendous route runner right out of the gate. They wouldn't have to wait to develop. Um, man, dude, what are some of the scenarios that you could see that happening with?
1: I don't really see that being, um, Again, remember, these are crazy scenarios, not like things we expect. Um, but if they're going to do that, I could see them uh, going, okay, I'm, we'll trade lock it, but we're going to get two players back um, in order to do it. Now, two that means they're going to have two different pockets where they want a receiver. They're going to get one early um, and go get a guy uh, like Mems out of Baylor or uh, a guy that's going to match... Um, his skill set like you brought up Rager, i think that's a great one um or
0: duvernay maybe if it was yeah later. you know one of yeah.
1: one of those guys you know kind of in that in, in that pocket where it's high and then you're gonna get another one in that of po- uh, the pocket of guys in the middle a um uh donovan people's Jones mm-hmm. or uh duvernay or um, someone in that range so you're gonna you're gonna go if you're gonna trade your number one receiver you're gonna you want two Different, highly talented guys to replace them. I think that's the only way you go into it doing that. And, and is a t-
0: and is a two, four, five uh, value receiving back is that high enough for a guy like Lockett, who's probably in a top ten wide receiver in the NFL?
1: I would say no. <laughs> probably Honestly, not. You no. probably
0: have to get a future one. I would say two, but no, two, one's a give- two and a five plus a number one in two thousand twenty-one, maybe.
1: Yeah, and, and, and I don't know if anyone's gonna give a one for Lockett because he's not viewed as uh Julio Jones. Yeah, he's not or a difference
0: kind. maker, but he's a weapon. He's definitely a guy that can can complete your team or be your number one guy on a kind of a mid tier level. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. yeah. I could okay. see the team trade K J Wright uh for a fifth round pick or a fourth round pick
1: or Justin Britt for a sixth round pick because you were going to cut him anyway um, type of situation. Now the reason why I picked Lockett on there is because I was looking at the roster and I was like, who would be the one veteran that they could trade that would be one unexpected and two bring back tremendous value. Um, Mm -hmm. And he was the one guy that I could come up with that was there because the only other one that I looked at would be, um, maybe Shaq Griffin. Adam I was gonna say
0: knows. Flowers even, but Flowers wouldn't bring back any Flowers value. But he's, he's he not could gonna be bring, cut,
1: yeah. But I don't, that's not gonna happen. Um, guy with two years of starting experience, and uh, uh yeah, he's not getting cut. Um, but I'm I look at that and I'm like, Griffin's the one guy because he's kind of he's later in his rookie contract and he's obviously very good, and so a team might covet him uh trade him now and then resign him type of situation but yeah um
0: especially I, if the team was was uh like for whatever reason was targeting uh Diggs uh cornerback out of Alabama in the draft or something um mm-hmm. and he was their well, guy
1: yeah and 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 they just made the trade um for Dunbar and uh to be that guy anyway so you already have your number 1 Um, on the roster. So you could trade Griffin. Uh, Basically you're making a lateral move going from Griffin to Dunbar and then picking up draft capital that you can use to upgrade uh, on flowers and the depth and overall. But even that I had such a hard time, even considering that that is a,
0: well, I think with seven, with seven picks this year, I think that those scenarios are more unlikely than say last year, where last year they went into the situation with four picks. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did trade a player. Um, they they traded Frank Clark. Um, so those sorts of scenarios are not unheard of, but with 7 picks in the draft, it seems like we're loaded enough with draft capital that we can move around and get where we need to be. Um, so. Yeah. Okay, what was your last fun one?
1: The last fun one was that John Snyder decides that he is going to bank or at least hedge on the COVID-19 thing being uh, a massive uh, disruption to the season. And he's going to trade. He's going to basically pull a Mike, Mike Ditka uh, and he's going to trade his entire draft for to the, um, to the Jacksonville Jaguars for Yannick and the ninth overall pick. Interesting. The entire draft for Yannick and the ninth overall pick, and then so you're yeah. basically the team is going after two guys. They're going to have the veteran um, pass rusher that they have to pay a ton of money to, um, and one other player. Who do you take if you've got the ninth overall pick? Mm-hmm. And or do you trade-, trade
0: it, or do you trade the ninth pick to get more more? Draft capital. I mean, that would be the obvious thing that I would start I moving think, back down. I think so. Um, but if you were to target one player, I mean, it would have to be a guy like Simmons or Kinlaw, um, a guy that's a super athletic, disruptive defensive tackle um, in the draft. Um, if a if a quarterback was was there and, and teams were like a Justin uh, Hubert, uh, Seattle, I don't think would pick that player, but. They could use that mm-hmm. spot to uh, to have teams uh, want to move up into that spot. A guy like Derek Brown would be interesting at defensive tackle. Um, Tua, again, we've already talked about that. Um, Andrew Thomas, the best offensive tackle in the, in the draft, I think, uh, would come into play um, on, on a situation like that. Or you could... <laughs> There's just a, a number of guys that, you know, I, I think that would be interesting. But after that, I mean, after those players that I just mentioned, I think there's just a bunch of guys and then your value kind of drops off on it like a table. Um, you have a, the first layer and then it drops down and that drop down lasts well into the second round. And so for me, you know, a guy like John Schneider understands that really well and has played that game for the last 10 years would take that ninth pick and turn it into tremendous value for the Seahawks. If he were to drop back one or two times into the back end of this first round, you could pick up a second round pick, maybe even two second round picks from those drop backs or two thirds or, or a second, a third and a fourth. Um, so you are you
1: at this point, at this point you're cheating because this is not what the scenario is. That I asked <laughs> you.
0: Well, I said, I gave said, you, I gave you gonna, my, I gave you my, my guys. You're going
1: to, you're going to take, Every, the entire draft, you're going to trade him to Jacksonville for Yannick and pick number nine. Yeah. Who do you take at nine? You don't trade back. You just. Can I trade pick up again?
0: Up. I can no, trade up because you again. don't
1: have you don't have anything <laughs> left to trade. I would trade you up use for Chase. Up everything.
0: Yeah. I. Uh, I. You're right. I mean, a Mike Dicka move for the ninth pick would be interesting, and there, you would only be there for one guy, and that would be uh, Isaiah Simmons the 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 outside linebacker um mm-hmm. from from Clemson o-
1: outside linebacker pass rusher coverage guy just uber athlete
0: yeah i mean i yeah. to for me he's the he's the third overall ranked prospect in this draft and that's if you think joe Burrow, joe is, burrow is, is up there two. but i don't putting, i mean i would put isaiah simmons above that just because we already have a quarterback joe burrow is up at the number one spot because he's the best quarterback in the draft and that's always going to get you the overall the, the the best big board position but isaiah simmons is right there with chase young as being the, the highest impact player in this draft yeah
1: um i put joe burrow at, at two with chase young one um And then I've got some other players before I get to Simmons, um, you know, offensive tackles, because that's Mm -hmm. who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, But so you go and get Yannick, and then I would say you're looking at uh, Javon Kinlaw out of uh, South Mm -hmm. Carolina, um, maybe Derek Brown out of Auburn. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And Andrew Thomas at at the offensive tackle, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: and after that, to me, there's another, there, there, there's a kind of a drop off.
1: Well, or you could go with, um, like, you know, uh, a, a Tristan Wirf's uh, offensive tackle out of Iowa. I think that's another name that you could throw up, but yeah, then it's like, are you really going to do that? Thinking that a guy like, um,
0: You'd have to be special like, at that spot.
1: Calavian Chason, uh, yeah. from LSU as an edge rusher is, do you, do you think he's, a special enough to to have done that? No. Um, you know, or I I don't know. I I just I I look at it and I go, I there's not a lot of guys that I would make that trade for. Um, unless you're going into it assuming there is going to be no 2020 season. Yeah. And so then you do this because you're gonna you're gonna get yourself two elite players you're going to get Yannick and you're going to get whoever you pick at that at that night spot um and whether it be a big time lineman like Kenlaw or maybe you go offensive tackle and um you know you get one of the the premier left tackles in the league and you go you know what we're going to take two elite players and we'll punt right. getting our, our roster uh finalized down the road because yeah. we're not going to play this year anyway.
0: Yeah, um, that'd be like playing, you know, the game of Survivor, you know, that's on TV. Um, you know, where at certain points in the, in the game, quote unquote, players make moves that completely transform the entire game. That would be a a draft transforming move that would that would have ripple effects uh, throughout the league, and uh, it would be a huge play. Now, when you go back and you take a look at drafts historically, uh, from a long term perspective,s there's not a lot of players that really work out, especially in the Seahawks situation. Uh, you've got two or three, maybe maybe four guys per draft, even if when we average picking 10 players, which we do the last three or four drafts that we've averaged 10 picks. Um, if you really think about it, those 10 picks really turn into three or four guys that contribute, like seriously contribute. If you get to consolidate down, and knew that you were picking next year before you had a season, that would obviously change things. And I would totally be comfortable consolidating down to two picks, especially if they were premier guys that you knew were going to be perennial starters. Um, But you know, the draft is a crapshoot and you know that as well as anybody Keith, even if we were to pick Kinlaw or we were to pick um, Simmons Uh, you know, injuries come into play, uh, lack of performance you get that big contract. Kinlock comes in, he doesn't have the right mindset. He, he just kind of rests on his laurels. I could see that, you know, that happens all the time in drafts. So when you all, when you pin your hopes and dreams on one or two guys to be able to make a draft, it's it's a 50, 50 thing. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't.
1: Yeah, and that's that is why, um, we the the Seahawks always move down is because for them it's a matter of uh, you look at the probability of hitting on a draft pick, and while the probability is higher with a you know, a first round you know pick, um, and it's lower with that second round, you know, second round top of the second round pick, um, by moving down. The probability of hitting on a draft pick when you combine that second round pick, the fifth or the fourth round pick that you got for moving down, the sixth round pick that you got for moving down, the combined probability of hitting on one of those three players is higher than the player than than at the spot you started with. I agree. And so and that's why they keep, that's why they move down is because it's it's it is a crapshoot. It is um, it, there is a level of probability and all of that. And you never know. Um, and that's also why when you get into the later round picks, you don't go and you pick, you don't go pick football players. You go and pick athletes with high upside and a lot of work to do projects. Um, because those are the guys that when you, if you hit on one of them, sure, you spent a fifth round pick on, uh, some cornerback no one knew of, um, and thought was too big to play the position, but he ends up being Richard Sherman. And you can have five or six of those types of picks that wash out, and no one remembers. But if you do it, you get one Richard Sherman out of it. You know, you 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 help make your your yeah. roster. Or, your or Chris
0: Carson, even you know Chris Carson in the seventh round. You can go on and on and on. A uh, Doug Baldwin, undrafted free agent. Mm-hmm. It's a numbers game in the NFL, and and especially if you have draft pick level. Talent wise, I mean, anybody picked within the first 250 picks in the drafts, one through seven, seventh round, you're going to end up getting a player of certain uh, quality, especially rounds like four through seven uh, that that can come in and contribute. And the more of those guys you have, the the higher the boat lifts overall as far as talent on your team is concerned. Um, So, yeah, that's the way you build a roster in the NFL and stay under the cap. I mean, it just is, you know. Mm You get those cheap contracts, and those those cheap contracts are of certain quality uh, players. That's the way you build a roster. It, and it's really exceedingly hard to build a roster in the NFL with a salary cap. I don't know how John Schneider does it. I mean, we take a look at the odds on reaching the Super Bowl. Um, only one out of 32 teams each year, or one out of 30, you know, th- uh, two teams out of 32 reach the Super Bowl. One wins it. It's exceedingly difficult to build a team that is Super Bowl worthy. Um, you know, everything has to go right. Your offseason has to go right. You have to sign the right guys. Injuries, you got to have a good draft. Those players have to come in and step in right away usually and um, have significant roles. Everything has to work correctly um, in order to, to reach the pinnacle. And it's, it's tough, you know john uh, pete and john are just tremendous at doing it and keeping us there viable every year uh, and it helps to have a you know franchise quarterback for sure so all right so uh that was fun that was interesting <laughs> thanks it was a good yeah. idea this is this was all on um keith this week i had nothing to do with this show whatsoever i just showed up and yep. you know started talking so thank you for that so uh, Took a week
1: off. what he's saying is that if you thought this show was <laughs> awful, it's my fault um, And <laughs> uh, so next That's uh, true. our next show, true. our next show is um our how is it our fourth annual mock draft show um where each of us are gonna come with a prepared mock draft uh having done on on uh, you know one of the draft simulators, and we are going to go through it pick by pick and uh talk yes. about players and how we did and why we went in a certain direction that we did um and so look for that early uh next week
0: yeah and that's the the draft strategy part of that conversation is the most intriguing part to me because it really does we're we're so aligned over the last four years we just are we're we we kind of we're aligned in our philosophy and we kind of pick the same players. So it's always interesting to me when we get to this point, um, having talked about all these players for so long, just how close we end up getting so or or how far apart we really are. Um, and the, and the show after that, Keith, we're going to do a question and answer show. So the day of the draft of the first round next Thursday, we're going to record uh, that morning. We're going to have a question and answer show. So submit any questions you have. We'll go out on Twitter and and send that message out so we can accumulate some really good questions uh, before we hit the draft. That's always kind of a fun show. Um, and then we'll draft, then we'll be able to talk about actual players that are on the Seahawks team, which is Always, uh, always good to to get to that point. So, uh, thanks, Keith. Have a great week. We'll see you next Monday on the um, on the mock draft show. So yeah. until then, uh, you can find Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL. I'm at NW Seahawk. The show is at Hawks uh, Hawks Playbook. Sorry, and the website is SeahawksPlaybook and you can subscribe on your favorite podcast apps to get the show in your feed each and every week when it comes out. So until next time, Keith, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Hawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Podcasts or listen at our website, hawksplaybook.com. Follow us on Twitter. Bill is at Hawk. Keith is at MyersNFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. See you next week. And go Hawks.